From the center of the hockey universe, this is the Off the Post Podcast. Micah Blake McCurdy, welcome back to Off the Post. You were on, uh, towards the end of last season, we were talking about the playoffs and which teams will would probably get in, which teams probably wouldn't get in. Uh, and now you're back live from Halifax. What's going on? Not much. Thank you very much for having me. So how are things uh, with Hockey Viz? Because I was just thinking, uh, when did you launch it? Is, it? is this the second season, the third season? This is the third season for Hockey Viz. And, and it's, been, it's been steadily growing. I've got about, uh, about 400 subscribers now. And we're, uh, we're making a little bit of money. It's not exactly, you know, it's not quite retirement money yet, but we're moving along. That's great. And yeah, so you're the owner-operator of it. And uh, why don't you give people a little spiel about what you offer off the top since we're already uh, talking about HockeyViz. What, you know, if they go to HockeyViz.com, what can they expect? So they can expect to find a lot of, of data, statistical data, nothing too complicated. It's mostly reasonably straightforward, um, but it's presented in an unusual way. So instead of getting a bunch of tables, you can expect to get a lot of graphs and visuals that try to make an entire team or an entire season or an entire league a particular aspect of those things apparent all at once. So you can you can see, you know, who plays defense for a particular team and you can see who's getting ice time and who's playing with whom. And then other times you can see that changing over time. So you can see who's winning with the coach's favor and who's falling out of favor. You can see shot maps where people are taking shots. So if you take this guy and not that guy, when are they taking shots together? There's a whole host of other things too, but that's the general idea is that you have statistical data presented visually. Yeah, I think I think you picked the right name because it, it really uh, <laughs> explains it. Hockey Viz, um, Micah. So we're, today we're going to talk about off the top. We're going to talk about uh, the elite teams in the National Hockey League. I've noticed over the last couple weeks on Twitter uh, and even just in person with a couple people, a lot of, a lot of uh, folks are saying, you know, that the, the league's great, the hockey's great, but I feel like there aren't a ton of elite hockey teams. Like you know, obviously Tampa and we'll talk about them in a bit. That they're indisputable um as one of those elite teams, but some people have an issue uh with finding other quote unquote elite teams um you know be- beside maybe two or three. So we'll discuss that and uh uh it basically boils down to the parity in the league for one and also the sample size at this point is is a, a little small to really make wide sweeping uh, conclusions, but uh, the main argument out there is that there's bad teams, there's decent teams, uh, there's average teams, there's above average teams, there's good teams, and then there's only a select few elite teams, which I don't know if that's a bad thing or a good thing, but uh, it seems like uh, it's a trend or at least a narrative going around. Uh, what do you think off the top? Like, do you think that the league only has a select few that are really uh, a cut above the rest? Yeah, I on the whole, I think I agree with that. In fact, I if I had to stretch right now and say which teams that I think were were really playing absolutely top class hockey, I I only see three, and I think it starts with Tampa, and they're, they're sort of clearly the very best. And then after that, you've got St. Louis and Columbus, and then and then I think it drops off very sharply after that. And part of why I think is because the the middle chunk of teams. I mean, there's a real there's a real reward for being in that middle. You can get yourself a playoff spot without spending too much money in that sort of central section and and make yourself a pile of money. And that's that's a function of parity as it's going on. But I think that sort of middle class of team is stronger than it used to be because there's not so many teams 
that are in that upper echelon. Uh, I don't mind it myself, actually. I'm Maybe that's just my kind of the way that I'm a fan. But I really like seeing those matchups where only a handful of teams are, are really dominating. And, of course, because it's so early, too, just like you said, the teams that are that are at the top of the standings are necessarily going to be ones that have been fortunate. You can be fortunate and good, of course, and Tampa, I think, is a great example of that. They've been playing incredibly well, and they have also been very, very fortunate. That's how you pile up incredible points like they've done. So it's a little bit tricky to tell exactly who is good yeah, with let's... that short sample. But I still think you have you have a handful of teams where where they're clearly playing better than the others. Yeah, let, let's go through a couple and just talk about uh, what makes them special and and if we think that this is a su- sustainable. Because I, I guess that's what it comes down to, right? We can talk all day about how they've done, but it's you know it's how they're doing it, and if that process is going to be sustained over the course of an 82 game season and into the playoffs. And I think if we start with Tampa, they check off all the boxes. Um, they have the second best record right now, first in points percentage. So you could argue they are the top team in the NHL, uh, first in goal differential. Uh, and then you go down the list. In Corsi, they're a top 10 team. Uh, in scoring chance uh, differential at 5-on-5, five five, they're, they're, uh, they're a top 5 team. Their defense uh, in terms of goals per game against uh, is 4th. Penalty kill, 11th. Uh, and then their power play is up there uh, in terms of the best in the league as well as their offense. Like they're, uh, It's a total cliche, but they're like, quote-unquote, firing on all cylinders at this point. And uh, we're 22 game, or sorry, 21 games into their season, and it's almost been from one to 21. They haven't had a lull um, so no. far, and 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 the and also one of the, if we're looking at it just from a team level and not even talking about specific players, um, they're taking shots from the middle of the ice in the offensive zone, and they're that that's sort of been their home. That's been the place that that they decide is uh, the appropriate location to fire off shots. If you look at uh, their heat maps on your site or, or elsewhere, it's just this massive blob of red, and the red obviously indicates a lot uh, of volume right in the middle of the ice. It's around the hash marks. It's a little above the hash marks, but they basically stay away from out- outside shots, which to me tells me uh, through through John Cooper's coaching and obviously through the talent that they have and, and uh, I guess the smart minds that they have that they're focusing on getting high-quality scoring chances and they're getting a ton of them at this point. And, uh, you know, over time, that's that that's a recipe for success, at least in the offensive zone. And they, they've gotten good goaltending. And um, they're really, they've been uh, the total package. And this is without me, you know, gushing too much about uh, Kucherov and, and Stamkos, which I'll let you uh, gush about them if you want uh, right now. <laughs> well, the, I think it's it's true. One of the things that makes Tampa unusual is that they're, they're incredible dominant recently has been almost entirely through their forward. And where we're sort of the established narrative is that is that sustained winning comes primarily from defensive strength. And I think that they've been putting that on its head. Their defensive numbers are, are decent, um, but not not incredible. It's the offense which is really pushing them forward. And one of the you mentioned it's unusual the way that they're getting incredible amounts of shots. But part of what makes it especially unusual is that they're also avoiding, they don't have very many shots at all from extremely close to the net. So right in the net front, they're not playing a kind of uh, shoot and tip. They're not playing a hunter-rebound sort of game. They're playing a, we're going to get people who have lethal shots, we're going to get them to puck in the slot, you know, 5 or 10 or 20 feet further out. 
but we're going to put it right in front where they've got lots of net to shoot at, and then we're going to trust that they're better shots than average and that they're going to be able to put them away. And that's a sort of nice work if you can get it strategy. And since they have that kind of shooting talent, then it's been working well for them. That's a, a little unconventional from a, you know, that's not a traditional analytics take for, you know, recent years has definitely been, you know, find volume, don't rely on having quality. And, and Tampa has been doing it the other way around with just tremendous shooting quality. And of course, part of that is not just quality, but then they're, they're also getting volumes of those shots. You know, they're not settling yeah. for, oh, we're going to have, we're going to, it's not like the Rangers of a handful of years ago where they get massively outshot, but the handful of shots that they get are very high quality, you know, breakaways, twos on ones, where this is, this is, we're going to, you know, we have some decent quality shots, some, you know, well above average quality shots that we're going to get. 30, 40 of them a game. Now that's when you get into that territory and you've got the offense quality and quantity working together, that's how you get the kind of offensive juggernaut that they've been. And then you look at their goaltending, which has also, you know, not quite top of the league, but close at mm-hmm. five on five. You know, that's, that's a real recipe for putting a pile of points together. So this, you know, if you want to say that's unsustainable, maybe, maybe it is partially, but then part of what makes, part of how you bank points is that you have to, rely, you have to put yourself in a position where when the streakiness comes, you reap those benefits. And it's every single team, every player in the league, no matter their structure they play in, is, is going to produce points in bunches and then have lulls where they produce very little. And so you need to arrange it so that when you get those productions, you know, you're not just winning a game or two, you're winning, you know, six out of eight games or something for a couple or three or four stretches in the year. So when those, when those floods come, you need to convert them into points. Well, and I, you mentioned it uh, in passing. Their shooting uh, talent is is really off the charts with uh, you know with Kucherov, Stamkos, and you could even uh, group Nemesnikov in there because he's starting to shoot more, and, and we're starting to see that he has uh, scoring ability with that top line. I, I you know you would have to go through every single goal and really tally it, but off to the top of my head, you know, it, it, there's probably ninety percent of the goals they've scored this year are just no doubters, just. You know, you after the goal scored, you go, how is the goalie going to stop that? Or, you know, the way that Kucherov used a defenseman as a screen there was phenomenal. That's something that not many players do. Like, there's always some sort of highlight reel quality to their goals. And I think that makes it uh, move in the direction of sustainable, at least with that line. And uh, sort of a, an under-the-radar story with them has been their second line with Palat, Point, and Gord. Uh, Yanni Gord, it's just... They, they've been one of the better second lines in the league so far. And, and I mean, Palat's not young, but he's young-ish. And the other two uh, are relative rookies. So uh, the way they've been able to, to put together that top six and, and what they're producing, uh, you know, below the surface with the underlying numbers as well as with the counting stats is, is uh, it makes you confident in, in what, that they, what, what they can do. But, but then you mentioned, you know, the defense. And, and once you get past Strawman and Hedman, uh, who, by the way, when they're out there with with that top line of Stamkos, Kucherov, and Nemestikov, that's just a murderer's row. Um, but but aside from those two, uh, maybe there's some issues on the back end that that they can shore up near the deadline, or maybe they just end up uh, uh, finding it internally uh, over time. Because as I as I tried to point out off the top, we're we're about 20 games in the season, about halfway, or sorry, about a quarter of the way through um, an 82 game season. Um, and by the way, we're recording this on Thursday morning, um, and, and a lot can happen over the, over those next sixty games. So so we'll see. But uh, 
the early returns on Tampa are very high. Yeah. And another thing that's been helpful for them, of course, is that they've had essentially no injuries and no serious shakeups of, of lines or pairings. Now they, you know, you mentioned Hedman and Strowman. They're their number one and their number two defenders. They're playing 26 and 22 minutes a game every night. You know, they haven't missed a night. The, their second pair of Coburn and Girardi, they're, you know, and haven't missed a night. They're playing their standard shifts. The bottom six is the same. Bottom pair, sorry, of that is the same. You know, a little bit of, of a couple other players shifting in and out. You know, very, very little injury problems on either defense or forward. You, know, you compare that to somebody like Anaheim where, where there were, you know, who didn't have the same expectations that yeah, Tampa did. Yeah. But, and, but they've just been completely destroyed. And so that's part of, you know, part of good fortune is, is avoiding injuries. And they're probably, I mean, injuries are going to happen to every team. So they're probably going to go through stretches where they're going to be worse in part because of injuries that, that you can't foresee. Um, and so that's part of why you say, well, you know, we had a tremendous first quarter and that's going to bank all those points. And now instead of coasting into something, we're going to, you know, sorry, instead of having to fight for something, we're going to have a, a, an easier time of, of making those adjustments that every team has to make, say, at the deadline, like you mentioned. Well, that's a good segue. You're talking about injuries. How about uh, the St. Louis Blues? They've, they were a team that you mentioned as as pro- part of this this easy uh, group that to, to pick to to be the elite of, of the NHL. Um, they haven't had Robbie Fabry. Uh, they haven't had Patrick Berlin. They haven't had Jay Bowmeister for the entire year. Uh, so that's three everyday players, and Fabry's probably uh, has the highest impact on on winning. Um, and then Steen was out for a bit, so they've been dealing with some early season uh, ailments. But I think they're legit. I mean. They have a really good mix of top-end talent, and I'm talking about, you know, Tarasenko, and you could throw Jaden Schwartz in there, uh, Alex Petrangelo, but then also depth. They have a lot of guys who you would probably group into uh, the good category as opposed to great. Um, and and also, they've they've been doing a lot of winning under Mike Yo. I, I looked at it, and they have the most points in hockey as a team since Mike Yo took over uh, on February 1st, so... Um, they've just been killing it, mind you. I, I can never really get behind St. Louis um, as a team. I think I, I was thinking about it today. I'm like, have I ever really been intrigued by by the St. Louis Blues over the years? Like literally for my whole life, and I I don't think I really have in the sense that I've thought, oh, this team's you know either one very exciting or two you know just gonna crush crush opponents throughout the regular season and into the playoffs. Like they've always been. Uh, from average to above average to, to good to to very good, but uh, I don't know if I've seen them at this level, at least uh, when you toss in all the variables of, of them being entertaining and also being uh, a very good team. What do you see from, from St. Louis so far? So, I mean, I agree with you in the broad sense. I don't, I don't think there's a great deal of very exciting players once you go past Tarasenko, who's, who absolutely belongs in the, the top echelon of the league that way. And St. Louis, their success is based more on, on the traditional defense first mentality. Um, I think it's a little silly that he's been, that, that his name is being tossed around in Norris conversation, but I think Petrangelo is having an excellent season all the same. Pareko is still strong despite not being quite as good as, as his early season suggested. Um, one of the things that I've noticed that's the same about St. Louis, as we were talking about in Tampa, is their, the way that they've been scoring a lot without using the front of the net. They're doing the same thing that Tampa's doing, using the high slot a lot. They work the sides of the net, though, in a way that Tampa doesn't. They like to, to have low jam plays that aren't that aren't designed around the net front specifically, but sharp, short um, rebounds that pop back out into the slot. 
that appears that looks like a deliberate strategy to me. And then if you look at their at their defense compared to Tampa, you see something that's um, that's quite a bit stronger, I think. So that's I mean that's an intriguing prospect to me already to see two teams that both have have a, a strategy of getting clean looks for their forwards as a way to generate goals. You know, clean looks for their forwards and not clean looks for the goalies, like you were mentioning. The other thing that's curious about St. Louis is that they have, you know, you mentioned Tampa having a an especially strong um, top six, but they don't deploy their top six that sharply. They they deploy their top three with considerably more ice time right. than that than that um, second line. You know, however good it is. Whereas in St. Louis. They don't really have, by ice time, a top line and a second line. They just have a top six that are all getting up in the 18, 19, 20 minutes a night. You know, when the difference between your top line and your second line is, is one or two minutes in total ice time, you're talking about you know, two shifts different, three shifts different between your And it might be just on the line. power play, right? One, one, one unit is, uh, is getting you know, that extra shift uh, when there's been five power plays that that game, right? Like it's pretty negligible when, when when we're talking about actual lines, three person units, right? And so that that makes it um, that makes them a little harder to coach against. Um, you know, we it's funny we were saying how they're not so exciting, and on the other hand, you know, teams that are exciting and they win a whole bunch, you know, everybody says, well, they got to be more consistent. And so, <laughs> yeah. Right. So like the. I have a certain sympathy for that sort of thing where, where consistency is, is almost impossible to get. And the closest we can see to it in the league over the last number of years is St. Louis. And they say, oh, well, you know, they've never had a really deep <laughs> playoff run. It's true. And, you know, well, do we want consistent or do we want, the, you know, sort of Ottawa-style occasional flash-in-the-pan tremendous deep run? And that's, you know, that's quite – so Ottawa's a team, you know, just – I mean, you wouldn't talk of them in the same sentence as – as elite teams like Tampa or St. Louis, but they have the kind of talent where if it suddenly starts to click, you know, and everything goes right like it did for them last year, they can go on very long playoff runs. You know, but that's but consistency, they're not. It's really amazing too uh, the Braden Chen trade, how that has worked out for St. Louis. So he was traded in the summer for Yori Laterra, the number twenty-seven pick in this past draft, and then a conditional pick next year. Uh, it's looking like an absolute steal. He's got 30 points. We'll see uh, how that story develops over the, the course of the season. But uh, he's just added another weapon. And, and I've always kind of liked Braden Shen as a guy who uh, isn't afraid to shoot the puck. I think uh, with centers, there's a usually um, there's usually sort of a, I don't know, uh, a penchant to, to pass, a penchant to be a playmaker. And he's just always been like, whatever, I'm going to shoot the puck. He always has a lot of uh, high shot totals at the end of the season and he also as we've talked about throughout this podcast he shoots close to the net and uh, it's not rocket science that 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 will lead to goals if if you know you do it enough over x amount of years and i think he's cashing in so far uh through the first 20 or so games i agree in fact i mean he's i i think he's playing out of his skin at the moment it seems a little bit unlikely that he's going to keep on doing that but then just like we were talking about tampa that's how you you know, you have to profit from these things when they come. I, I think he's had a, a fairly substantial upgrade in line mate quality, moving from Philadelphia to yes, to Zinlo. yes. And so that's that's definitely part of it. Uh, I think also he was he was a little bit, um, was a little bit underrated in Philadelphia. Where you know, I try not to, to say people are underrated. It's sort of a sneaky way to say that you think you're smarter than other people. <laughs> yeah. But but the but he but he a lot of his. 
mean, he has a surprisingly good shot. Uh, I think his his past back history, you know, he's been in the league a number of years, there's been a lot of talk, changes the way that people look at him a little bit. Um, but he's, and, and so somewhere a little bit more anonymous, if that's sort of to damn with St. Praise again with St. Louis, is, is a place where he can really flourish. Well, it's pretty incredible to have 30 points so far. I mean, let's just say he he falls off a cliff. Like, even if he finishes with 50, 60 points, that's still a very good season for a guy uh, that you acquired in the summer for. I mean, you, you never know what the 27th pick will turn into, but you can't really play that game. For a guy that you uh, that you traded for for a mixed bag of, 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 uh, of pieces. So I think it's pretty fair to say that they've won that trade, at least so far. Um, oh, for sure. And the thing about picks, too, is that, you know, picks are great, and late first-rounders are routinely, you know, become routine NHLers most all often. But also, you have to take into account the time delay of the value there. Yes. You know, if Braden yes. Shen scores now, that first-round pick will score in who knows how many years, mm-hmm. you know, if they pan out. So there's the risk that they don't pan out, and then there's also the premium of, you know, I think it's weird. People have this trouble with trades. Oh, the picks could be anything. You know, it's so easy to dream about what picks can become. You know, Braden Shen is sort of not, he's a great player, but he's not the sort of person you you hope your team's first rounders become yes. when you're watching the draft. So it's, but that, you know, if you turned it in terms of money, I think people would understand really quickly. You know, I'm going to, will you lend me $100? I'll give you back what might be $1,000. Oh, and by the way, you got to wait seven years for it. All of a sudden, I think people understand the time value of, of hockey quality if you, if you put it in, in time value of money terms. So yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. It's funny, though. You mentioned Shen and, and taking his shots closer in. He also, I mean, he's got, when he's on the ice, the Blues take lots and lots of shots. I mean, way more than, than generally. Um, and part of that is deployment. He's been given very generous offensive zone mm-hmm. deployment. And why wouldn't you keep on giving it to him when he keeps producing the way that he has? But even with him, they're not using the very front of the net. They're still working the sides of the net below the circles and the and the high slot, and across to the top of the circle. Interesting. You, off the top, when I asked you uh, about about the elite teams, you mentioned Columbus uh, in the same breath or in a similar breath to uh, to Tampa and St. Louis. So, so I'll give you I'll give you the floor right now. Uh, sell me on on Columbus. Uh, I think um, they they might be in a second tier, but but I can be convinced. I so I, I think Columbus is up in that territory. Their shot share. Um, is is level with St. Louis for the best in the league for unblocked shot rates, something like forty nine and a half percent. The sorry, um, fifty four and a half percent to nearly fifty five percent. That's fifty five percent is about as much as you can, yeah, about as good as you can get for the course of for that kind of length of time. Um, similarly, their penalty differential is excellent, which is um, along with St. Louis also. In fact, their penalty differential is is very close to best in the league, second only to Carolina and Montreal. The, I mean, Montreal is a whole other story. It's one of the few things that is really good about Montreal. Whereas in Columbus, so you have that penalty differential. You have the excellent blue line results where they're, they're getting the puck out of their own zone and into the offensive zone very consistently. And then they have, I think, considerably better goaltending than either of the of Tampa or St. Louis that we were talking about before. That's fair. So they're yep. more, of a, more of an all-round, if you like. Um, but but those are those are the things that add up when you're when you're generating lots of shots and you're allowing very few shots and you're taking very few penalties and you're drawing lots of penalties and your goaltending like and 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 and, and. <laughs> it just adds and, up. You know that's 
even like you rattle off another sort of third, fourth, fifth in the league in enough categories, and all of a sudden you become very hard to put out. Also, I just looked it up because I was when you're talking about Columbus, my brain started going towards uh, who they've been playing and their strength of schedule. So I quickly looked it up on Hockey Reference, and uh, they've had the strongest schedule to date, at least the way that Hockey Reference uh, calculates that. So um, that 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 to me tells me that this isn't a mirage that they're that they're the real deal. Um, and also, they have really good uh, expected goals at five on five. So it all sort of uh, you know. You know, you you add it all up, and, and it seems like uh, they are the real deal. Um, I think I think it's a bit of my my bias of, of Columbus never being a powerhouse, like kind of like they have to prove uh, more than I don't know Chicago or more than San Jose or LA that that in the past have shown that they can sustain success. Um, but that's stupid. <laughs> Let's face it; that's kind of a silly way to look at it. Um, and also with, you mentioned the defense, uh, Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski, they've got to be one of the best pairs in the league already. I mean, when I watch yeah. them, it's, it's just, it's almost like a thing of beauty where they're two defensemen that are just so perfectly molded. Their skill set is just so perfect for, uh, 2017 NHL hockey. They can move the puck. They're not afraid to engage, but, but not worried about getting too physical and, and taking themselves out of the play. Uh, they can score. They can play in the power play, penalty kill, uh, and they're they're both left and right shot. Like they're just, it seems like a, a match made in heaven. Yeah, they that particular defense pair is very very strong, and and you and of course it was put together by an extremely courageous trade. It's a trade, yes, I think quite fair. You know, I, I agreed with the conventional wisdom at the time that it was that it was a pretty much you know evenly matched hockey trade. As they but say, yeah, know, a hockey trade. You don't. You don't. Like those trades are uncommon, and they're uncommon because you know it doesn't take very much of a variation from the way people have played before in a new circumstance. Before all of a sudden, whoever winds up on the wrong end of that, you know, gets pilloried. And and perhaps I mean Columbus, of course, um, Jarmo has a, a, a history of reasonably aggressive trades, not all of which have come out to his best advantage. You know, there's a handful of trades with the Kings in particular, which which didn't seem to go very well. But the the when you look at the way that that the team is constructed, you you see that same consistency that you do in St. Louis. And the point that you made earlier about uh, strength of schedule, I think, is extremely important. The if you want to talk about a sort of tier of good but not great teams, they're almost all in the Metropolitan this year. It is an incredibly difficult our division, and of course because of that, because they all play each other all of the time, the and you can only you know there's only two or three points to go around in every yep. game. That's going to deflate their their point totals, and so you're going to have teams that are. I, I uh, as an amusement, I track injustice, which is the chance that you finish in the top sixteen in the league. But yes, get I love those front. rankings. And the and I think and, and injustice stalks the Metropolitan this year. That's the if you come fifth or sixth, you could easily in the Metropolitan. You're sixth, especially right. You can't can't ever qualify for the playoffs as the sixth in your division. So if you come if you come sixth in the metro, you could easily be above three or even four playoff teams in the league in in just raw point totals. Yeah, especially. I mean, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I I just think I mean on the one hand I think it's 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 dreadful in terms of playoff format, but on the other hand, you, know, you can't. There's no way that you could have divisions that are arranged geographically and not occasionally have the better teams clump up in one division. 
Yeah, it's a, it's it's a problem in most sports, and I just think that the NHL amplifies it for uh, for the wrong reasons. Uh, I think it's fine during the regular season, but when it's the playoffs, why have the divisional round or, or the divisional brackets break out? Because then you're just you're setting yourself up for uh, round one of, of Pittsburgh, Washington, or round one of of uh, I don't know uh, Nashville and and whoever else in the Central. You know what I mean? It just it, it's yeah. it, it's I I guess I get why they do it in terms of developing rivalries and and that sort of uh, all that jazz. But uh, like it just it bothers me come playoff time. Right now, I, I get where you're coming from with with the strength of schedule, and that is an issue. But but as you as you pointed out, uh, you know, further down your your little rant there that. I mean, like, what are you going to do? There's just times where certain divisions, certain geographical uh, pockets are, are, are better than the others. Yeah, I think part of it, too, is 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 that desire to have good quality regulation hockey, too. Mm-hmm. So you have, mm-hmm. you know, so you, you have these repeated divisional games, which, which stoke those matchups, even if they don't come up in the playoffs, which is nice. Incidentally, I prefer the the slightly wacky strategy of having playoff teams pick their own opponents where you can uh, where you get an extra incentive to win more up at the top of your division even if you're comfortably in a playoff spot because if you come higher still you'll be able to choose which of the other the lower playoff teams you're going to play in the first round that would be amazing television for one thing well so that's that's just part of it i mean on the one hand i mean everybody loves to watch the fur fly and i'm a great great devotee of chaos but also i think you would get in large places you would get most of those rivalries because teams are going to think not just in terms of who they have the best chance to win against, but also who they have, who's going to make them more money. And so if you're Pittsburgh and you can choose Philadelphia, you know, you know that that's going to bring yeah. in some more dollars than if you pick, say, Carolina. Even if you think Carolina might be a slightly easier route, you know, in this hypothetical. And so I think those, it's not like those rivalries are somehow going to go away if teams get to pick their opponents, even if there might be slightly less. And travel is going to be the same thing. You know, do you want to pick an opponent you think is weaker if you have to travel extensively to go there? Or maybe, you know, maybe you do and maybe you don't. And those become interesting decisions. And that's, I mean, that's what you want the rules to provoke, right? You want a rule structure at every level of the game to, to provoke people to make decisions that are difficult. You know, when people say, oh, you know, that'll be hard, you think, yes, it's good. We want this to be hard for you. I mean, after all, they're already being paid for it, so. Both the executives and the players. Yeah, I think I could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure I've heard this this discussion on another podcast or on the radio or something. And someone pointed out that there's a league in Europe that does do this. That that does the you know if you finish first in the league, you get to pick your your first round opponent. And I just that would be so cool, especially you know the NHL is always struggling to to kind of hang with the big boys in the states, the uh, the NBA's, the NFL's, the MLB's. I mean, here's a here's a here's a moment where where you can grab it and 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 generate a ton of interest. I mean, who who from any walk of life wouldn't want to see you know Sidney Crosby go to the podium and say uh, we we choose uh, the Philadelphia Flyers and then I don't know Claude Giroux in the in the crowd and 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 and, and, and the <laughs> the camera pans to him and he just has a dirty look on his face or something like I don't know. I'm just imagining this hypothetical scenario and it sounds pretty fun. Well, in, in fact, I'm I'm imagining the sort of long tail of that. It's great television in the moment, of course, but then, you know, those the, those rivalries get way stronger all of a sudden. If you say, "You remember last time? Remember four years ago when you picked up yes. and we knocked you off? <laughs> remember when you did it again last year and we picked you off again?" You know, that's like anything that generates huge 
huge amounts of trash talk fodder for all fans of all teams. I, you know, I think is great. And of course, if you pick a team and then you beat them, you know, then you, that, that's just as good for, for theatrical purposes. You say, you know, we knew you were bad and so we picked you and we beat you because you're bad. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, that, like that angle, it doesn't just, it's not just a one night of great TV. It's a whole, you know, a new way of, uh, you know, maybe the NHL doesn't want that, but I want it. Yeah, if you can bring some aspect of WWE and the trash talk, mind you, the the fake trash talk, but the trash talk from there uh, into your sport, then I think you're doing something right. Um, so, so we've talked about Columbus, St. Louis, Tampa. Uh, give me another team or two, or maybe maybe you're ready to wrap up uh, the lead section because uh, uh, that those are the only teams that you consider uh, the upper echelon. Uh, who who else uh, would you like to chat about? I think I think the only other team that I would that I would include in the sort of the top of the league, and this is a somewhat unpopular choice, is San Jose. Interesting. They, they came out looking very strong in my early preseason previews, and, and San Jose fans have been locked into this. The team is, is going to implode on itself narrative for a couple of years now. You know, they, they had that charade where they stripped the captaincies. Yeah. And, I mean, the Pavelski, or not Pavelski, Marlowe gone in the summertime, and it's, you know, Jumbo Joe, how old, how how good can he continue to be considering how old he is? And like all of the talk has been negative for a long time, and yet with the on ice results, especially when you look at 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 the way that they've been able to generate and especially suppress shots, have been extremely strong throughout that. Um, so that's I mean, there's definite weaknesses there. I mean, their their shooting percentage is you know, abysmal, and you wonder if some of that is is unsustainable, but also some of it might be due to a weakening of talent. I mean, shooting talent is one of the first things to go as your as your team gets older. So there's there's sort of clear more clear weaknesses there, but also in the the defense is league best. They allow the fewest shots of anyone in the league at five on five. And the special teams is not that bad, not nearly as bad as Sharks fans on Twitter would have you think. <laughs> so there's there's a lot to like there. And and in particular, one of the things, one of the knocks you get on analytics is that people say, well, you know, how are they doing these things? I'm not precisely sure how they're doing these things, which makes them a slightly peculiar pick for me. But, but more importantly, they are defending in particular very, very well. The, they have a, a virtue of playing the Pacific, which I think is probably the weakest of the conferences. Especially and, when you, that, you toss in the Oilers and, and the, the gong yeah. show that they've created there, like they, everyone thought, oh, you know, 100% playoff team, uh, you know, very, very likely going to gonna be at the top of the division or second, maybe third at worst, and they're going to make this deep playoff run, potential cup contender, and then now it's like they need to go on a major, 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 major winning streak in the next 60 games to uh, to even make the playoffs. It's crazy. I know. It's, it's looking really grim in Edmonton, and of course, you know, it couldn't happen to a better team in terms of, of a of a fan base likely to just melt down. <laughs> yes, they've uh, they've gone through a lot. To be fair, I well, I know. Look, I mean, there's there's a lot of suffering is a is an exquisite hockey joy, and there's a lot of teams who who have gone through a lot, and there's different kinds. You know, there's sort of Sabers and and Coyotes and Oilers style. You know, we just never win forever style, and then there's sort of Flyers and Senators styles where they're sort of perennially three points short of the yes. playoffs. And then, and then, of course, there's capital style suffering where you win and win and win and win, and then at the end you lose. <laughs> I think if if uh, 
if we're talking about elite teams in the league, I have, I have an issue not at least considering Pittsburgh and, and Nashville just because I just well one there's there's the uh, the tired narrative which probably has some truth in it that the you know the hangover and and sort of not being able to to get up at at, at the start of the season uh, to to your potential because you just went through this crazy emotional ride uh, you know a lot more attention on your team not maybe not as much with with Pittsburgh because. Uh, they've been dominant for a few years here, but with Nashville uh, finally breaking through, uh, and I don't know, it's not like they've they've neither team has gotten off to a bad start, but neither team has gotten off to a particularly good start. So, uh, considering the high end talent on those teams and uh, the way that they were both able to get to the Stanley Cup fi- final in, eh, in in pretty impressive fashion, um, I still I still have uh, I still have a lot of consideration for them um, because I think it is a league that 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 benefits teams that have upper echelon, you know, top 10, top 20 players. And, and if you have a group of them, uh, I think I think you're always in contention. And, and that that counts uh, for for Pittsburgh with with their two centers and then with uh, with Nashville with their top four and 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 the pieces that go around with that and and you know Kyle Turris and and Ryan Johansson is not a bad one too now so anyways yeah. uh, w- with those two teams I'm I'm kind of putting an asterisk like they're sort of they're sort of they we could talk in two weeks from now and and we would be talking about how uh, they are part of this elite group um, but I think I think when it comes down to it uh, based on what we've seen so far and and the underlying numbers and and the eye test I think for me. Um, St. Louis and, and Tampa are there, and I think Columbus is right on the edge. And and, and you you had a pretty convincing argument, so I'll say that they're they're with that group. Um, and then from there, uh, it, it sort of falls off, not dramatically, but there's a massive clump of of good teams, not great teams, but good teams. And then from there, it, it trickled down. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of teams who qualify for the playoffs. You know, sixth, seventh, eighth in their conferences, and people are going to say that they're that they're underdogs and they're they're going to be underdogs only by the tiniest amount. Uh huh. No, I agree. And that's, I don't know. I don't know if like part of it is obviously the way that the standings are structured, but I think the distribution of talent at this point, and it's hard to really pinpoint historically, you know, where it stands and and all of that. But I feel like it's just, you know, it's almost the opposite of the NBA where there's so many super teams. Um, There's, there's really only a few really bad teams. And, uh, the re- the I guess the middle class is is so fat. I guess is the best way to put it. There's a there's a really clunky middle class, and 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 there's an upper middle class uh, that wants to join the upper class, which which uh, we've been talking about, but I don't think they're there yet. No, not quite. And that's uh, I mean I like that as a as a fan, although I can see how some people would prefer to have something a little bit more stratified. Part of it I think is is the way that, that some of the inefficiencies in the sport have been slowly squeezed out of it over the last few years, um, especially at the bottom, is the number of, of players, it's funny, you, you notice it more because there aren't so many of really dreadful players in the league like there used to be. Yeah, I think that's fair. There used to be. used to be every team had at least one, often two or sometimes three, players who, who were sort of plainly not better than the best available call-ups. For you know, for an average team, it's not for that team exactly. And now I think that that's that's becoming extremely uncommon, and you start to notice the handful that are left. You know, 
are you, are you like are you alluding to uh, the the trend of, well, of 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 an of one man or sorry not one man one dimensional players uh, being weeded out and everyone needs to be able to skate everyone needs to be able to be um, at least average in, in every level like uh, it really comes down to the fact that you know fighters are gone more or less and even on defense a lot of the uh, uh, the slow footed guys are gone is, is that what you're talking about yeah and and there's a there's a, in particular a lot of people who who were always you know, they were never played for their offensive value. They were always played for their defensive value. Guys like Steve Ott, for instance. Okay, that's a good example. And people are realizing that, that the actual defensive value provided was not nearly as much as, as previously thought. And so once you, like that's a change in, not a change in abilities of players, it's just a change in mentality about, about what is actually winning you games. And so people who weren't perceived to be liabilities, you know, it's not that they're any worse, but all of a sudden now people are saying, actually, well, I think that, I think that kind of style of player is actually hurting our chance to win. And that that has the obvious effect where all of a sudden you don't get easy wins quite as much anymore. And even um, and then there's a matching incentive for that too with the way that, that the draft lottery has come in where tanking is rewarded much less than it was. And so you see it a little bit less. And so that, that bunches up that middle section. Because if you were if you were trying to tank on a season you know that doesn't that doesn't do much except bulk up the points of the people above you. Except now you're That's not true. getting that, so it's much much tighter. That's a good point. I haven't seen too many hashtags about uh, tanking for Darlene, whatever the the rhyme or the pun would be with that. So um, uh, all in for Darlene, say some people. Oh, is all that it? Okay. <laughs> they work better in text than they do than they do spoken. Sadly. Yes. No, you're totally right. Um, let's transition to the LA Kings. Uh, I didn't want to include them in the elite uh, team discussion because I, I I was pretty certain that that you weren't you know super high on them. I'm not super high on them, but they've been surprisingly uh, productive. Pro- surprisingly, uh, they've won they've won a lot more than <laughs> than I thought that they would through through twenty or so games. Um, so I'll just I'll just set the table with, with with sort of the narrative going into the season and how it's played out, and then I'll I'll get you to uh, to chime in here. So it's pretty well known right now that they. The LA Kings were the kings of, of Corsi. They dominated for years, uh, almost close to a decade under Daryl Sutter, putting up, you know, 53% Corsi, 54, 55, 56. Just, you know, the shot share was always in their favor for years and years and years. And eventually the winning stopped, the goals stopped. Um, and then Sutter's gone. Uh, Kevin Stevens is, is, uh, is promoted to head coach in the summer. Uh, they have a press conference, Kevin Stevens and the GM, Rob Blake, really put it out there that, hey, we're going to change our, our playing style. We're going to stop being this team that just generates a lot of shot attempts, and we're going to get good ones, and we're going to score more goals. Obviously, I'm, uh, this isn't verbatim, but this is paraphrasing. Um, and I actually talked to uh, their assistant GM, Mike Fuda, before the season, sort of to to recap their philosophy and to see if he was on the same page. And and really, he was. He was trotting out the company line, um, and and I I applaud them for for all sort of having the same message, and 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 believing in their team. But I got off the phone and I'm, I'm like, I'm not really buying this. And and the reason why was because they hadn't really changed their on ice personnel. Their biggest acquisition in the off season was Mike Camilleri, who's also already gone. Um, so yeah. obviously that that didn't turn out to be. Um, uh, a big boon. So, so basically they're coming back with the same team, a couple of spare parts added 
Um, they added some speed, but sort of these were they were these unknown players. Um, so I'm going really like how are you going to change everything overnight if if you have the same players who um, if we're we're throwing uh, you know uh, if we're if we're painting them with a, a broad brush are are slower are slower than maybe uh, the Maple Leafs or, or whoever a, a speedy team like like Pittsburgh. So you know how, how do you how do you really you know how do you flip the switch and and it looks like they've done it to an extent. Um, and and I, I I really give them credit for for kind of practicing what what they were preaching in the summer and not just you know uh, providing lip service to the fans. So um, they've gotten off to a pretty good start. Um, their underlying numbers are 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 encouraging, but I wouldn't say that they're, they're, it's a complete turnaround. Um, uh, how have you seen uh, the Kings so far uh, through your lens? So they look very unusual to me for for a handful of reasons. One is that the the offenses, the way that they run the offense appears to be broadly similar with one big difference, okay. which is that last year, um, at, at least in terms of the, the kind of shots that they're taking, last year they ran a huge amount of offense through the left point, which is hmm. a little bit like very strongly through the left point and almost nothing through the right point, which is uh, slightly unusual. You you know, you, your mind goes first to, to right-handed defensemen like Drew Doughty. Yeah. When you... the and but at five on five, at least, that's not the way that they decided to run their offense. In fact, he liked to pinch down quite a bit, and so the so they were using low on the right hand side and high on the left hand side quite a bit, and running the offense in this very asymmetric way, which incidentally is a little bit similar to um, to the way that uh, the opposite of the way that they do things in in Ottawa, with that that strong asymmetry. Whereas last year, sorry, that was last year. This year, they're not using the left point nearly so much, and they're using more of the, the tops of the circles in the high slot and much less of the low slot than they did. And so there's uh, maybe there's a convergence of style there a little bit between what we were talking before about St. Louis and Tampa, who are, who are doing that same kind of thing, only somewhat more effectively. But the huge difference, the really big difference in Los Angeles is the defense. Mm-hmm. Last year, they had one of the best defenses in the league, and in terms of, of quantity and qual and quality of shots that they were that they were allowing, and this year it's much worse. It's not you know it's not like bottom of the league. They're not giving up huge numbers of good chances, but they're giving more than league average in all of the good scoring locations in the circles and the the net front, low slot, high slot, um, and the right point. So it's it's quite a bit. So I think there might be some teething problems there with how they're they're getting used to to a new system. Where you see it more in the defense than you would see it in the offense, which, which stands to reason. The other thing which is curious about the Kings is that their on ice results, both in terms of shots and in terms of winning, have a, a really stark character. The first half of the season, the first 10 or 11 games, they have seven or eight wins and, and quite strong shot numbers. The second half of the season, where they've been on a losing streak, they, I mean, they've lost four straight at home, um, and where they have much worse shot numbers. So that that kind of inconsistency also suggests uh, an unfamiliarity with precisely what they're doing. So so there's some strong, strong good signs, but also some strong negative signs too. So it's very hard to know what to make of them. I you know, it's the sort of thing where if they if they rattled off another six wins, it would be easy to say, well of course you could see it coming. And if they rattled off another six losses you could you could say the same thing and look just as smart. Yeah, there's probably so, some growing pains, right? I guess that's that's uh, that's probably a theme that's that's occurring with that team. Is as much as Kevin Stevens was around before, he was Daryl Sutter's 
right hand man. He wasn't at you know he wasn't at the switches and and obviously he's put his own spin on this team and the way that they want to play and preaching faster play, uh, you know, uh, better transition and, offense, uh, basically being more efficient, not just firing every single puck on net, uh, finding that that grade A scoring chance and. So I have I have a little uh, profile here of, of their numbers. So last year, first in Corsi, obviously well documented. This year so far, and, and you know, again, small sample size, they're 17th in Corsi, but still at 50%. So they're they're basically sharing that with the other team. Expected yep. goals, this is interesting that expected goals are they're they're 10th again. So last year they were 10th, this year they're 10th. You would you would hope if you're a Kings fan that that had that had been converted to uh, to a higher a degree, but maybe that has more to do with the league and some other teams passing them. I don't know, but um, we'll see how that develops because that that's a it, that's a little surprising. Um, their high danger goals per sixty minutes, and this is all at five on five, mind you, uh, is up a, a small amount um, from one point one to one point two. Pretty pretty minor difference there. So um, they're not converting on on a bunch of of high danger uh, chances. Their shooting percentage, though, overall. Uh, has gone uh, gone up from six point two percent to seven point six percent at five on five. So you see, um, you see a bit of a spike there, and maybe that's just early season noise, or maybe maybe they're they've inched a little closer to the net, and that's helped uh, help them uh, ride out a, a better percentage. So they've been kind of a weird team because I, I watched their game last night with the Jets, and I I I honestly I don't know if it was a poor game by them. I've watched them a few times this season, and and as you as you pointed out earlier, they've been kind of uh, Jekyll and Hyde. And and last night I wasn't very impressed with. Uh, they look like the old Kings. It was kind of a boring game. Uh, uh, you know, the Winnipeg just happened to capitalize on on their opportunities. Um, and I don't know the, this team. I, I don't think uh, they've figured themselves out, and I don't think everyone else has. But I'll say that that they've at least uh, practiced to an extent what the, what they preached in the summer, where they said, you know what. Uh, it's time to change things up, and uh, and we can't keep playing this old Sutter style because it's just teams have figured us out. And plus, it's just as much as it's great to get a lot of shot attempts. Sometimes you you need to sacrifice uh, the volume for the quality. I, I think too, you know, like it's one thing to to look at what people what people say they're going to do, but then another thing is to look at what they do. And and the the number one thing I look for when people say, oh, we're going to play a different style, is do you actually play new players? Do you find? Yeah, that's the thing, right? They've they've they have a couple of new pieces, but they're kind of around the edges. Like Adrian Kempe's looked really good. Um, a couple yeah, of their wingers, but but no one no one major that's gonna you know come in and make a big splash and really affect things. No, not not so. I mean, you wouldn't say really huge, but on the other hand, the you know Kempe, for instance. So if you look at his minutes, he started out playing eleven, twelve minutes a night, so very very little. But then they they quickly ramped him up to almost 15 minutes, so they've moved him into a regular role. Interesting. The and and uh, Iafolo have has played on their top line for the entire season, and so this is so he's he's completely new blood, and that's and he's been it's not just that they have played him a lot. I mean he plays considerably less than Brown and Kopitar, but he's played with no one else. They've they inserted him on their top line, and they've done they've done nothing else with him the whole time. You see that with young players in other places too, where you know, Yamamoto, for instance, in Edmonton played exclusively on on the the second line when he right. was there, and you know. But this is like that. That looks to me 
you know, I don't really know very much about Ayafolo. We don't have a great deal of data for him. There's not a lot of games that you can look at. You can go back and look at his college numbers, I suppose. But the, when you, when you see that, that they've stapled a, a new player to the top line and that they've been doing that consistently the whole year, so that, that tells you maybe there is something in the, in the commitment to be different. All right, let's uh, let's spin this forward with a, a final topic about uh, the early season MVP, and uh, I don't want to go too in depth about it. I just want to get your your take on on who's in contention uh, at the quarter waypoint. Who do you have as as these guys that uh, are on their way if if they can if they continue up 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 the mountain uh, at the pace that they're at, who are on their way to uh, at least be a finalist in in the MVP discussion. Uh, I think you have to start with Carlson. I think his uh, his impact has still been tremendous. The, his counting stats not quite as strong because he missed a little bit of time at the start of the season, recovering from that injury from the playoffs. Um, but but he's I mean he's jumped straight in. He's scoring on a tear. The Senators are incredibly better with him than without him. It's it's very difficult to to sort of sufficiently emphatically suggest how strong I think that he should. I mean, he should certainly win the Norris, and I think MVP is, is very much kind of within his grasp if he continues to play this way, which you, know, you wouldn't believe, but but it, he seems to be able to do this all the time. Yeah, he's he's uh, proved us wrong before, we'll put it that way. Yeah, so I, I think there's a handful of other, like a lot of the, uh, the standard choices which are, are circulating, I think, are also pretty reasonable. Um, you know, Matthews is a force for the Maple Leafs every night. I think he deserves a lot of the chatter that he's been having. I think if... Um, you know, these MVP decisions are, I think, a little too strongly influenced by by playoff success, for better or for worse. Um, and so if the Maple Leafs manage to make some noise in the playoffs, I think he has an excellent chance there, too. Um, after that, Kucherov is, is, you know, he's he's been playing incredibly well. It goes back to what we were talking about at the very beginning when we were talking about Tampa Bay. You know, I, I try not to take too much of a sort of hardcore stats nerd take on on things like MVP awards because I think by definition I think whoever wins the MVP in a given year should probably by definition have the kind of results that they won't be able to repeat yeah you know, the, they should be they should be your best years the ones that are the very top yeah they don't they don't have to make sense you could be scoring you know at 30 percent clip and at the end of the year you go this guy deserves the MVP it doesn't have to <laughs> it doesn't have to like be sustainable or make a lot of sense and that's I think Kucherov is is uh, is close to what he's been producing. I mean, he's like he's on pace for uh, well, he's got 17 goals in 21 games. So, I mean, do we expect him to keep that pace? Probably not. But do we expect no. him to fall off? We also don't expect that. So, I think he's set himself up very well to to be in contention at the very least. I agree. And and I also like to sort of mark these things down as as early season predictions because we we do have a tendency to to focus not just on team results but on recent results. Yes. You now if Tampa, for instance, if they if they play tremendously well and they lock up a playoff spot really early and then they lose eight of their last ten games, you know, even while Kucherov continues to score, I don't know, four or five goals in that stretch. You know, that's it'd be very easy for people to say, Oh, you know, we're not going to even entertain the notion of somebody from Tampa. But you could still have, you know, the kind of season which would deserve it. But we we color our expectations very strongly based on on this kind of recency. This is part of why I have another sort of crazy idea to change the league. I think I would love to make the MVP voting uh, like 
the Australian Rules Football MVP voting. Which is? Voted on by the referees after every game. That's interesting. I've never heard so of that. After So this is, in, in the AFL it's common, and they, the, so after every game, the refs all get together, and they get, and of course they have piles in the AFL, like six or seven people. So you get the, the two refs and the two linesmen together, and say, and so you give three points to one person, two points to another person, and one point to a third person. And, uh, and then at the end of the season, you just add them up, and whoever has the most points is the MVP. And so if you, so every, because everybody plays the same number of games, everybody has the same chance yep. to be the best player on the ice in the eyes of, of neutral people. So, and so you, you mitigate this bias. Of course, they have this in the AFL. The Melbourne teams get way more attention than all the other teams. And then, you know, it's the same in the NHL where a handful of teams dominate the, the various Yeah, like a guy from Carolina is not going to, uh, you know, all of a sudden, like Jeff Skinner is, is underrated for a reason, and a lot of it's geographical. I see what you mean. And so I, I really like this idea of of taking that bias out, and also because, of course, you, it's still 3-2-1 in game number one as it is in game 1,271. And so you take away that bias of, oh, it's more important that he scored goals in March than when he scored goals in November, which I think is, is nonsense. That's interesting. I My only suggestion to that process would be maybe one or two hours after the game they do the vote because I feel like if they just get off the ice, one of the players might have pissed them off for whatever reason, maybe in the face-off draw he was yapping, and all of a sudden that guy doesn't get the credit he deserves. So if they have time to cool <laughs> off the refs, and, and and you're right, like they are more or less neutral observers. Like Their job is to, to, to official a game in a fair way, and I mean, they're, they're trained to be as objective as possible. So I think that's great. And they're, they're at ice level. So they might have different opinions about certain players uh, than us at home who, who aren't there. Like, I don't know. There's probably play. I think talking to refs in general would be interesting uh, just to get their opinion on, I don't know. Is Johnny Goudreau actually way faster than we think he is, even though he looks really fast, stuff like that. Um, So, so anyways, to get back to the discussion, Kucherov's up there. You mentioned Matthews. Um, Carlson, I think Bobrovsky at this point, and yep. mind you, we'll see what happens uh, as as the year goes on. But he's coming off of Vezina season, so we would expect him to continue at 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 least a a comparable rate. Um, he's got to be in consideration. He's been lights out. I think his five on five save percentage is like nine forty five. Like he's been absolutely dominant. So you can't disc- you can't kind of uh, shoo him away uh, from the MVP discussion. Um, and, then, and then there's guys like Tavares um, and also Stamkos. Uh, I don't know if at the end of the season, if 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 what we see from Tampa continues, especially on an individual level with Kucherov and Stamkos, I wonder if those two guys split the vote in, in Tampa and it ends up going to someone else just because people couldn't decide on who is most valuable to the team. Yeah, that I think there's a real probability of that. And, you know, it's, it's there's something slightly bizarre about trying to pick individual events in a in a sport which we know is strongly dominated by who you play with. So, but you know, I don't I don't think you can get away from that though. Like that's I don't think it's going to be any worse of a problem this year than any other year. Let's no. put it that way. Yeah. All right, Micah. I really appreciate your time. Why don't we uh, plug HockeyViz uh, one more time? So. It's HockeyViz.com, and uh, if people want to maybe get a preview of what's going on there, they could probably follow you on Twitter and see uh, uh, what, what you're tweeting out and, and what you're all about. What, what's your uh, handle? So my, my Twitter handle is at math, 
that's all one word, ineffective, not effective. It's a, a joke about how I uh, I couldn't get a mathematics job after years of trying. <laughs> and so moved into hockey. And uh, the website is where I put up all my stuff. There's all sorts of extras that, that I put up on my Twitter account, things that are works in progress or unusual ideas. Uh, and if you subscribe to the website, which costs $5 a week, sorry, $5 a month, uh, you get access to some fun toys where you can map out your own ideas about who should play on the power play, what kind of matchups lead to who's going to likely to win certain games if we adjusted ice time in a particular way. You can look at some power play shot locations. So they're they're pretty nerdy, but they're very fun and interactive. And I encourage you to all do that. Yeah, I subscribe, so I don't know if, if that's worth Good anything man. to the listeners. I hope it is because you guys are listening and I'm the host. But uh, um, yeah, the thing is, is, I'm not a visual guy whatsoever. Like, like in terms of my creativity in that, in that space, I can't draw at all. I can't, I mean, the best I can do is like, you know, fix something on Photoshop. Like I'm not, I'm not exactly an artsy visual guy, but I like to learn with, with, uh, with pictures and with graphs and with charts and, and you bring that to life on your site. And I think it's been, uh, a pretty cool to see your, your profile rise because you found your niche and you've just kept to it. And uh, you've built your subscriber base, so it's good to see. Thank you very much. It's been fun. It's still fun. All right, Micah. Thanks for coming on, and uh, we'll have to do this again soon because it was a ton of fun. Thanks a lot, John. Take care.